probably about the sixth or seventh grade, I got to see Damon Stoudemire playing the way he handled the ball. And I really wanted to have that kind of freedom on the basketball court and that kind of vision on the basketball court. So we went down to the, um, to the library and rented Pistol Pete's ball handling videos. And my dad got out the pen and paper and we wrote <laughs> down every drill and then we checked them back in and just started doing those drills. Welcome to the Players Podcast. This is your host, Coach Noza. And on season two, episode one, we have Mike McShane. Coach McShane was a legend in Salem, Oregon, leading the South Salem Saxons to a state championship in 1996. He earned a scholarship to the University of Oregon, where he was a standout player. He is currently the director of Cascade Sports Camp and teaches PE in Oklahoma. We discuss windows of opportunity and how to take advantage of them. And let me give you a hint. The keyword is preparation. The Players Podcast is brought to you by the Salem Hoops Project. The Salem Hoops Project provides free basketball training to youth in Northeast Salem, Oregon. It is our belief that no child should lack athletic opportunity because of financial limitations. To learn more, visit SalemHoopsProject.org. Now on to the show. What was your goal as a basketball player, and when was your first major window of opportunity towards that goal? One of my main goals as a basketball player was to get a college scholarship. Um, uh, my family was was not going to provide my scholarship. My brother went into the armed forces to go to college. Uh, my sister had received a basketball scholarship. My other sister didn't go to college, and I knew I wanted to go. And I I knew that I'd rather. I, I knew I wanted to do it playing something that I, doing something that I love playing basketball. So one of the main goals I had was to get a Division One full ride basketball scholarship. And um, the, f- the first major opportunity for that, there were these buildups to it, but it was when we went down to Las Vegas and got the exposure. I think at the time it was called the Big Time Tournament, but it had the best players in the country uh, from all over the country playing there. And I went with uh, the Oregon BCO team. And it was the summer before my senior year. And going into that week in Las Vegas, I maybe had a handful of schools that were talking to me and no one had offered me a full ride scholarship and none of those schools were division one schools. After that one week in Las Vegas, I had 40 division one scholarship offers. So that was a window looking back on it now, mm-hmm. that was a window of opportunity that, um, that I was ready for. And a lot of things the looking back now were, were building up to that moment. It's easy to talk about what you want to achieve, but it's much harder to prepare for what you want to achieve. Throughout your life, what prepared you for those moments, specifically that week? Sure. Um, there, I could just list off a couple of examples specifically off the top of my head. My uncle Shane McShane, um, <laughs> who uh, would just kind of show up. He lived in Corvallis, but did a lot of work in Portland, so he was up and down the I-5 doing work. and living in Salem, sometimes he'd just stop off and be hanging out there. And he could see the hard work I was putting in, the push-ups and sit-ups, um, which were definitely a, a factor to that, going back to the fourth grade, building up for that one moment, um, you know, and that, t- that, that work over a, a period of time. But he, um, 
he was coming over and I'd been looking at some stuff in a magazine about the strength shoes. And he said, hey, I'll get you these strength shoes if you promise to use them. And he told me in that moment, uh, he knew I was going on that trip. And he said, it's going to be the shock the world tour. And he got me the strength shoes He pro as long as I promised that I'd use them. And it was maybe three months before that, that week in Las Vegas. Um, and he told me it would take many, many, many lonely hours in the gym honing my skills. Um, and I think it, it was kind of weird, but he was, um, and he gave me a, a Sports Illustrated book on Muhammad Ali um, that, that, that same time. So just having somebody like my, my uncle who bought me a pair of strength shoes three months before, and, and I used those religiously. I, I, when the instructions that came with them, I used them. And they increased my vertical probably three or four inches during that time going into that week, which was huge. Um, <clears throat> and then those hours in the gym, another thing that prepared me for that was Coach Adams took me on that trip the year before. So I had been down there and the year before I had received no recognition. I was just part of the team, but I got comfortable with the travel. I got comfortable with the competition. Just that experience really helped prepare me. The next year, I knew exactly what I was getting into. I knew exactly what I was training for. I knew exactly who was going to be there. And um, so a lot of things, going back even further than that, um, just the push-ups and sit-ups and the ball handling drills that I did with my dad, um, the plyometrics, the running stadium stairs in, in Oregon City, all the different things that I was doing. You know, it's like you said, it's easy to talk about. Um, and I ask at camp, who wants to be good? Everyone raises their hand. How good? Everyone says the best. And then the third question is, how bad do you want to be the best? And um, I never became the best, but that was my goal, to be the best I could be. And working really hard towards that from a young age with the push-ups and sit-ups, with the stadium stairs, that was all foundational stuff. And it was all stuff that was happening. I slept with my basketball and, you know, all that dribbling my ball to school, dribbling my ball home from school, whenever we went on vacation, taking my ball with me because I found something that I love. And that was the foundation. And then to have somebody in my life like my dad, like my uncle, like Coach Adams, that then held me accountable um, when I got distracted from that. And they'd say, hey, they'd remind me, hey, remember, this is what you love and this is what you said you wanted to do. It's easy now to get distracted. That's what everyone else is doing. But that's not how you become the best. And so just having those people in my life that held me accountable, my coaches, my family, my dad, um, those hours that I put in that no one else can take away from me, that was, again, having those people in my life helped me do that. But that was work that I did that um, no one can take. And when you do that work, then you have more skin in the game. And so you have more invested in yourself and you're a lot less likely to quit when things get tough. You're a lot less likely to um, blame other people or fake like you're injured or um, blame it on the coach or the referee or all that stuff we see when things don't go people's way that I've been guilty of before. And I'm guilty of those things when I've lost belief in myself. And that belief in self can only come from that hard work that you put in, it can't come from, that confidence comes from within. So all of those things, and it's like fabric. There's so many layers to it. What led up to that window, that week in Las Vegas, where when I went in, not much, and when I came out, <clears throat> we were rolling. You talked to our players at camp about 
the work you talked about, you know, the extra work. And I think it really resonated with them, just realizing, thank you. I got to do more. This this one, you know, going to practice for two hours or doing the team activity. If I want to be what I want to be as a player, if I'm, you know, I'm saying I want to be a college player, I have to do a little more. Mm-hmm. Talk a little more about how you developed that mindset as a child and the push and sit ups you mentioned. Talk a little more about how that came about and what that looked like in your life. Yeah, the push-ups and sit-ups, I wanted to play football. My dad started laughing at me. I started crying. He told me, he said, how many push-ups can you do? I got down and I could do like two. He said, when you can do 25 in a row, I'll take you to play. So that night, I just started doing 100 every night. And he would ask me every night, did you do your push-ups and sit-ups? And if I didn't, then I'd get on the floor beside him. He was usually watching games on TV, and we'd get them done. And um, then he took me to meet Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker was a world-class sprinter, the fastest man in the NFL, um, and Herschel Walker never lifted any weights. My dad knew that. He did push-ups and sit-ups. So Herschel said, I, I do 1,000 every day, sir. My dad looked down at me. I was like, oh, my goodness. So that day I started doing 500 every night. And without a doubt, that not only made my – because I wanted to lift weights. My dad wasn't into that until I was done growing. Um, he wanted me to finish growing before I started pumping iron. So – um, those push-ups were really a big part of my development because they were something that I was doing that no one else was doing. I knew that. That gave me confidence. There um, was something that was making my body stronger. I could feel that. That gave me confidence. And then it was also something I think that I didn't see at the time, but it made my mind stronger. Um, and so just the, the that was a big part. And then probably about the sixth or seventh grade, I got to see Damon Stoudemire playing the way he handled the ball. And I really wanted to have that kind of freedom on the basketball court and that kind of vision on the basketball court. So we went down to the, um, to the library and rented pistol Pete's ball handling videos. And my dad got out the pen and paper and we wrote down every drill. And then we checked them back in and just started doing those drills, pistol Pete's, um, all his stationary and, and up and down the court ball handling drills, which, that was probably about the seventh grade, but that was about, <clears throat> it was about an hour in the beginning. And then I got good enough at it where I could cut it down to about 30 to 45 minutes. But those were ball handling drills that I started doing every day. So, um, you know, before walking in through the front doors at South Salem High School, which we had a rich tradition in basketball and a lot of great players that came before and a lot of great players that were there, you know, 2000 kids in that school and a lot of them wanted to play ball. I said before I walked in those doors, my goal was to be the best ball handler in the school. I knew I wasn't going to be the biggest, the quickest, the fastest, the best player. And I think I accomplished that goal. And that gave me a lot of confidence from those ball handling drills. So that that was a lot of the work. Um, my older sister, seeing her in the gym, she was a state player of the year. And that didn't happen by magic. She put in a lot of hours. She was a Division One full ride scholarship basketball player. She put in a lot of hours, so I got to see her doing it and kind of learn vicariously through her and just tag along on, in those early years. So there are a lot of I was very fortunate to have coaches that had the gym open and then to have family in my life that um, that that facilitated those opportunities and get me to just get me to and from the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then the times that I didn't want to do it, having a dad in my life that said, hey. You know, you may want to go down to the mall. You may want to go um, swimming with your friends. or um, But that's not what you said you wanted to do when you said you wanted to be the best. 
and that was a, that was a sacrifice that I that I that I um that I made. Um, you know, we talk about the hours when you're doing what everyone else is doing. Those those hours don't count. Even at practice, I don't count those hours. When everyone else shows up, when everyone else leaves, that's what everyone else is doing. And if you really want to be a special player, if you really want to be one of the best and stand out from the, the from your peers, then it's going to take those lonely hours, whether they're doing your push-ups and sit-ups or whether it's in the weight room or whether it's doing your ball handling or you're watching the ball go through the basket, hundreds of shots, it, that's what it's going to take. When you were doing your ball handling drills, that was by yourself, right? Like no coach, no, no trainers. You were just checking the drills off <clears> the list and going through them. That's right. And a lot of times, my dad didn't have a job. So a lot of times he would be there. He had a little clicker and he would keep track of my reps and he would give me real basic um, uh, reminders like butt down, eyes up, pound the ball. And those were just reminders that became almost mantras for me. Even when he wasn't there, I could still hear that voice, butt down, eyes up, pound the ball, spread your hands, you know, all those things that that are really simple, but where a lot of creativity can come from, from that foundation. But he, he was there a lot. My dad was there a lot, but it was just him and I. Mm-hmm. And when he wasn't there, it was just me. And then I was also really fortunate to have a teammate come in the summer before my sophomore year who was new to our school and immediately became my best friend because of his love and passion for the game. And that was Thalo. Um, and um, he was oftentimes there. He didn't have the same, um, this, you know, his dad had a job. <laughs> So his dad wasn't there all the time. Yeah. His dad, had to, dad had to go work. Um, but my dad kind of was there for both of us. And we spent a lot of time at Willamette in the weight room. And then a lot of time doing our drills in that downstairs gym. My mom was working there, so we were able to use the facility. And, uh, yeah, so it, I wasn't always alone. But it wasn't work that was that everyone else was doing. I wonder why you both played in the Pac-10 then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Thalo would say the same thing if he was here. He'd give a lot of credit to my dad for being there for both of us. Um, our weight workouts were no joke. And they were like 31 exercises. Each exercise was four sets of 13. And we weren't lifting heavy. We were like, it was just, a, it was, a, we were moving a lot of weight, a lot. Of, it was just a lot, man. And, <laughs> and uh, it was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. We didn't like it at the time, Thalo and I both at the time, um, but we knew we knew that no one else was doing that work, and it paid off. You mentioned the pistol Pete drills, and I remember those too. And there were nothing; those weren't like advanced drills. They were just things to make your ball handling better. Do you think now we're overcomplicating things yeah. by adding two or three basketballs, tennis tennis balls, picking up cones, throwing <clears throat> things? Yeah, I think I think all that stuff's great. I think getting creative and looking for different ways to get better is really cool, but, but nothing will replace the basics. Like we talked about earlier, lots has changed, but some things don't change. And, um, the fundamentals don't change. And in a, I think the trend has been to go away from those. And so I think maybe now more than ever, there's value in those, mm-hmm. the basic fundamentals, putting two hands on the ball, just getting down in the stance, just learning how to play low, which I think is 
the only way to learn how to play low is to get low and stay low and yeah. train low. That's that's there's nothing more basic than that. But I think we do trend to complicate things or tend we tend to complicate things. I think the trend is to get fancier training or mm -hmm. fancier this or fancier that. And that's what's going to give you the advantage. I would say uh, keep it simple. Yeah. I think my when I first started coaching and, and I was, you know, training people and I was always looking for new and like, oh, this is this is much better because it's harder. And now that I'm getting older, I'm like, am I getting older or do I just realize now that kids can't do the basics? So mm -hmm. why are we trying to jump ahead to these yep. crazy advanced techniques? Yeah, I think that I think some of the teaching has been lost mm -hmm. without a doubt. Um, and the teaching of the game, the way it was taught decades ago, but you still find value in it today. Footwork mm -hmm. is huge. Breaking the game down to the most basic levels of how's the guy in front of me guarding me, um, no matter what. You know, whether he's an arm's length, an arm and a half inside that arm, there's certain things I can go to with my footwork, the jab step, the shot fake, learning how to take the ball all the way to the floor. And that's before I've even put the ball on the floor. Mm -hmm. And then I think passing and catching the basketball, you know, learning how to really use our hands and get them up. And, you know, you see a lot of kids, run, you know, a lot of turnovers happening because we aren't prepared to catch, you know, and that's just simply training with your hands up and giving a target and all the, the little simple things that you take for granted. Um, but that when you start watching, um, it's a lot of that stuff's been lost. I agree. No matter what I achieved as a player, and I was able to play in college on a scholarship, which is great, I always look back on moments that passed me up that I didn't take advantage of, and they would have taken me to a next level as a player. Were there any of these moments for you, and is there anything you would have done differently leading up to those moments? Yeah, there there are a handful of moments, good and bad, that kind of stick out, and some of them would be the ones you don't really expect to stick out. Like one of my greatest moments ever was setting a screen to pop somebody wide open for a game-winning layup as an underclassman that built a lot of trust with my coach. He went down the bench and looked at maybe a couple other guys and decided to put me in the game. It wasn't even my position, but he knew how I have, he knew I, he trusted that I knew how to run every play at every position. Mm -hmm. Being the point guard, I got in, I knew exactly what my job was. I sprinted to the screen. I just pinned this huge guy down as a tiny little, almost like John Stockton screen and popped the guy wide open. And it was, it's one of the best plays I've ever made in my life. And I just set a screen. Um, on the flip side, I, I remember a nationally televised game at the University of Oregon against Arizona when Mike Bibby and Jason Terry and Miles Simon and probably the best of the four, Michael Dickerson, were all on that team. And I, the year, a couple years before, I'd had some good performances against Bibby, and that's why I got some of those scholarship offers in that one game. Um, and so, but um, leading up to that game, I hadn't done the same things that I had done leading up to that previous high school game where during my time in college, I got, I was getting distracted. I was listening to what other people thought um, about whether or not I was good enough to play. I wasn't putting in that extra time. I showed up when everyone else showed up. I let it become more of a job for me. Um, <clears throat> and, and I remember sitting in the locker room after the game crying because I didn't perform on in that game in front of, a lot of people there and a lot of even more on TV. Um, I, I had an opportunity to make some noise at a national level. 
and put our team on the map and put our state on the map. And that was, an, that was a window that opened. And I knew when I got down into that basement underneath Matt Court that that window had closed. And um, it hit me hard. And I knew that I hadn't prepared for that moment. And I knew I hadn't prepared because I had prepared before differently than I had for that moment. And I knew that because I hadn't prepared, that's why I had failed in that moment. And that, that will always stick with me. It was a great, it was a great moment of learning. <laughs> At the time, it was a hard, hard yeah. lesson, but I'll never forget it. What advice do you give to young athletes who want to play in college? <clears throat> Um, we've said it a few times, keep it simple. If you're good enough, they will find you. There's, there's such a, um, you know, in a society of instant gratification, there's such a push towards doing whatever it takes to, to be celebrated now. Um, and then, or to get the best training facilities or to be on the best AAU team or to wear the best pair of shoes or, all this stuff that has very little to do with you uh, realizing your potential, which is how good you can be in the future, your ability to be something in the future. And I think that, <clears throat> you know, for young people, education is, uh, is a great opportunity through this game. If you can um, uh, finish high school and get to go to college and play the great game of basketball, what an amazing goal. I think Division One is overrated. I think you want to find a place that fits you, where you're going to have an opportunity to, to play and continue to develop. You got to keep getting better. And the only way you're going to keep getting better is to keep it simple. I just read a, a poem a couple days ago that said, it's very simple to be happy, but it's difficult to be simple because our world isn't set up that way. And so our society is not set up that way. So if you can find something, for me, it was the push-ups and sit-ups. It was the ball handling drills. It was, um, you know, having somebody in my life that held me accountable. That's a pretty simple concept. But that's what allowed me to explore my potential and become a player that got to have a lot of great experiences, travel, meet great friends, and um, have a lot of great human loving experiences through the game of basketball. And it came from this real simple work that I did because I loved something. And that's the other thing. You got to be honest. That's pretty simple. You got to be honest with yourself. You love this. And if you don't, keep, it's okay. Keep playing for fun and all that. But in terms of really exploring your potential as a human being, I would encourage young people to find something that they love. Because if you just like it, when things get tough, you're probably going to quit or move on to something else. Even with my kids, I'm not pressuring them to find what they love, but I'm encouraging them to keep looking and asking God for help and putting them because everyone has a purpose, a unique purpose. So if they can <clears throat> just continue to look for that in their lives, what 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 do you do? And when you do it, time flies. Then you found something that you love. So keep it simple, find something that you love. And then the last thing, I, the advice I give is, um, and this is the one that a, a coach is still helping me with, be the best teammate you can be. Get outside yourself. When people ask you how you did or how many points you scored, never talk about your individual stats. Talk about your team and just train yourself to be a team-oriented player. Pride yourself on doing little things like sprinting back on defense and blocking out and taking care of the ball for your team. Um, and I think if you can step outside yourself and really practice, it's a practice. 
It's like dribbling, just like shooting. Practice making the people around you better, then you're automatically going to elevate your own game and elevate yourself and turn yourself into a player that people will want to play with. Coaches will want you to play for them. Um, and you're developing skills that are much bigger than the game of basketball. They're team, teamwork, teammate skills. And if you become a good teammate, then you're a leader. Those are leadership skills. So keep it simple, which is just that hard work. Be honest with yourself and the people that love you. And then, uh, be the best teammate you can be and really practice that. That'd be my advice. It's time for the three point play. Three questions putting our guest on the spot. Here we go. What's one book every athlete should read? I think um, anything by John Wooden. I think John Wooden was a spiritual man that taught basketball. He was a man of God that taught principles. We talked earlier about fundamentals. He taught the fundamentals of life and success to him was peace of mind knowing you're doing your best and uh, knowing is huge not hoping but knowing that you're doing your best that's the only thing that can give you peace of mind and his teachings for me are still something that i study and are helping me become a better dad and a better friend and a better coach and a better teacher so those anything by john wooden would be um, in his pyramid of success <clears throat> there's a lot of books that are written about him and even a few by him. So that's the guy I would go to for books in basketball. What's the first thing an athlete should do when they wake up? Um, practice giving thanks to God. Just putting gratitude in your heart for this day. Uh, and then hydrate. Go, go drink some water. <laughs> and what's the last thing they should do before going to bed? Um, the same thing. Probably the same thing, you know. If you could do your push-ups and sit-ups, you know, before hitting the sack, that's good. But even more important than that, I think, is um, just giving thanks for this opportunity, not just to play basketball. I mean, it's it's a real privilege to play the great game, but just to be here and to be uh, with our families and friends and on this planet, which is such a beautiful planet, and all the mysteries and wonders that, that God has for us as humans, just say thanks. And then... Um, that's probably the best way to go to sleep. And hydrate. And hydrate. <laughs> I was about to say drink some more water, but some of these young guys, coach, their parents might not want them drinking water past six. Like. <laughs> um, let's get to it. Look. Let me restore the passion in golden era fashion. The that's corrupt, you'll turn me up while we print the atlas. Pray the pain won't be in vain. Pour the say the mask it. Why they kiss ass for traction? Build my own lane and lap them. Chances are they want the credit for your sacrifice. I'll hand you the patent and recreate it twice. Ready to die, you're only one and better name your price. On my 25th hour, no relation to spike. Ask for the spike in my price. Blame the economy. You heard 444. Hope will be proud of me since 22 twos. No competition here, honestly. My mantra is off to pay me. Call it a prophecy. Boxing one, there's no stopping me. Work to whoever you're praying to. Cooling in the layup line. Look at what y'all made me do. Laughing at advances now. That won't even pay the dues. Y'all stacking up y'all rosters. Suckers always pay the loot.